everybody. Welcome to Becky Left the Chat's Mixtape Podcast. This is February. We are in 1992 and we're up to the movies. I'm joined by my co-host Jen. Hi. And we actually have a special guest today. We have all the way from across the pond, Jen from Ancient History Fangirl. Hey Jen. Hi. Don't so, let the accent fool you. I'm an, I'm, I'm an immigrant so I still have the American accent. Yeah. Well, we found you at an airport. You did. Just brought you right into the pod closet and said, <laughs> let's have this special podcast recording. So are you excited? I'm so excited. We're going to talk about some real wild movies. <laughs> it's really true. Now, we gave you the rundown of how our podcast works. Do you have any questions about how we handle movies here at Becky Left the Chat? No, I'm just excited to hear what you guys thought of them. Well, and, th- and that's exactly where we're going to get here. <laughs> so I'm going to start off the top. So last month, we left everyone with our thoughts on fried green tomatoes. I said it was a movie uh, that happened having to do with a diner. And would you say, Jen? Yeah, there was a diner involved. There was a, a, an eatery. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I just remembered that there was like a dysfunctional, a dysfunctional relationship. I think some sort of murder, maybe two. Definitely, like I think there was some sort of serving of the meat of the murdered person somewhere. There was like some kind of friendship lady time things i mean that's did you read this now like or, or did you i saw it in high school oh, okay okay i saw it in okay. high school in class i think in my english class because it seems like you are remembering a lot more than you remembered last month but just make it sure but jen you actually know what the hell happened in this movie so I tell do. us i even read the book years ago what happened Okay, so Fried Green Tomatoes is this movie. It's an intergenerational movie about these women who are friends in between World War One and World War Two, And then Jessica Tandy, everyone's favorite old lady from the 80s and 90s, and Kathy Bates. Everyone's favorite Kathy Bates. <laughs> you're, you're saying Jessica Tandy's more beloved than uh, Angela Lansbury, though? I mean, Angela Lansbury is obviously more beloved. Okay, just making sure, because you did say everyone's favorite. I'm like, come on, murder, murder she wrote is... I guess the thing with Jessica Tandy is I always think of her as like an old, old, old lady. Okay. Whereas Angela Lansbury is always like kind of like your feisty grandma who's like out yeah. there doing all the stuff, the original Mrs. Potts and Beauty and the Beast. Like, she's really vibrant. And Jessica Tandy, I'm always like... Is a stiff breeze going to blow you over? I'm not sure. <laughs> I think okay. that's a really accurate way to uh, <laughs> that's describe fair. them. That's yeah. a fair assessment. So what happened in the movie that we got wrong? <laughs> um, Jen got a lot of it right, to be fair. Like, it is the story of these two women uh, who are... There, there's two plots going on at the same time. So I'm going to just try and explain one and then the other one because I'm already confused. So in the modern day, Kathy Bates is like very dissatisfied with her life and she's got this husband who she kind of likes, kind of doesn't like. Her life is just not great. But his aunt is in a nursing home and she goes to this nursing home and meets Jessica Tandy who starts telling her this incredible story of the past in this town called Whistle Stop where the trains came through and all this cool stuff that was going on. And so she becomes like really good friends with Kathy Bates and hears her stories as they're going on. And like through that, that friendship, She gets more confidence and she gets like, finds her way out of like kind of a shitty situation, not with her husband, but just where she's stuck with her life. Okay. So the story that she tells that's so riveting is about these two women. One is very much a tomboy and one is like a very prim and proper. Wait, 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 back up. So she's, so Jessica Tandy is telling a story or Kathy Bates is telling a story? Jessica Tandy is telling the story of this town. So she's like the narrator. So it's not real or it is real. It is real. It's okay. real. It's a real story from where she when she grew up and lived in this town called Whistlestop. Okay. Sorry. These are real people, real fictional people. Okay. Um, and so... <laughs> so far, so good. So far, so good. Good. And so the story is about these two women. One is significantly... Oh, there's very sad dogs out there. <laughs> yeah, they do that. <laughs> um, one is about like seven years old, younger than the other one. And so the younger one is very much a tomboy. She's got this beloved brother who's courting the other woman. And the brother dies in a terrain accident. Okay. And afterwards, like, the younger one kind of, like, really retreats into herself and doesn't do anything. And at the younger one's family's insistence, Ruth, who's the older one, comes and, like, sort of brings her out of her shell and gets her to kind of be, like, happy again. And then Ruth gets married to this guy who will turn out to be the murder victim. <laughs> lunch, he, a.k.a. A.k.a. Lunch. lunch. Okay. He is a very abusive dude. 
And when the younger girl, I think her name is Iggy or something like that, when she goes to visit Ruth in Alabama, somewhere like that, um, she finds out that Ruth is being beaten and she's pregnant. And she's like, nope, I'm noping you back to whistle, whistle stop. Which is, <laughs> which is what she back. does. And she comes from a wealthy family and they give them money to open this cafe that is there for when the trains go through. And that's how you wind up having lunch. So, um, <laughs> so they have this really great friendship. Um, it's ne- it's kind of implied that there's, Iggy definitely loves Ruth a lot more. And she's this wild, free nature woman who charms bees and just leads this very off the grid, unconditional life. And Ruth never remarries. And she kind of like, her and Iggy have this very close, maybe a little more than close relationship. You know, maybe more than a friendship, but it's only implied because this is 91. So, you know, right, right, right. and in, in this story that we're telling is back in between like 1920 something, you know, when was the book written in, in the 20s? No, the book probably was written in like the 80s, I imagine. Gotcha, gotcha. So it's all implied, but it's not ever really said. So anyway, Ruth's husband decides he's going to track down his wife. He's going to get his wife back and their kid because she was pregnant and when he shows up, he hits her, he hits her again, and Iggy threatens him in front of the diner. She's like, if you hit her again, I'll kill you. And then all of a sudden, he disappears. Hmm. And they don't find the body. But, but the it, burgers get better. The barbecue gets better, because this is the South. Okay. Fried green tomatoes. Fried green tomatoes. Know. Fried mm. green tomatoes are Ruth's specialty, because apparently no, it's like a, a weird thing that some people love, some people hate. Um, but anyway, so five years later, they find the... The husband's car, and they're like, oh, so, like, he definitely was murdered, but we can't find the body. So they put Iggy and Big George, who's the barbecue cook, on trial. Big George. Um, but they, uh, the town bands together to protect them, and they don't wind up going to jail. And you find out later on that the reason they never found the body is that Big George's mother, I believe it was his mother, um, I could be wrong on this, actually murdered Frank. She's this very meek, um, older African-American woman, and she murdered him because he was coming to take the baby out of his bed. She smacked him over the head with a cast iron skillet. Mm-hmm. And so Itchy and Big George are like, well, we know we're cooking for barbecue. You just tenderize that meat and we'll get rid of that car. Um, so they all, uh, they all had a, a big secret that they had to keep. And um, in, the end of the, in the end of the movie, uh, we find out that Itchy's still alive, still living out and in Whistle Stop, but Whistle Stop has become a ghost town because the trains don't go through it anymore. Mm. Ruth died very young. She had cancer. Mm. And Jessica Tandy tries to return after she leaves the nursing home to her old home, but it's been bulldozed down. So Kathy Bates is like, you changed my whole world. You're going to come and live with me. So it's a happy ending, as happy as it can be for like, you know. A really sad story. <laughs> quite a sad story. Quite disturbing. But, quite disturbing, but very ahead of its time and its mm. portrayals of like, friendships that women have with each other and potentially you know there's a there's I think it would definitely pass the Bechdel test and I think there's definitely a queer lens there that you could read stuff through so quite a landmark movie for the time period really yeah I do remember seeing it in high school and and that being part of why we saw it Mm because it was you know so so to summarize then I was right it's a movie about a diner Exactly. Yep. You were a hundred percent. Okay. Now you're going to mansplain it to me. Okay. (laughs) Well, that wraps up uh, our movie there. Thank you, Jen, for that really uh, concise and in-depth view of a movie. Yeah, that uh, was super detailed. I feel like I no longer (laughs) need to see or question what it is. Uh, It is Um, a movie. But we have a movie club, and like that could Jessica Tandy's breakout role. I just can't wait. Ah, true. That's true. true. Maybe I will pick it. I should have picked that over Dead Calm. (laughs) I should have picked that over Junebug. Mistakes were made. I was trying to get a little southern flair in there, you know. It's true. So we're gonna break we went it too far south. <laughs> a little, a little too far south. So we're gonna not bre- far enough. Wasn't fried green tomatoes like Alabama? Or something? I think it's yeah, because yeah. the modern day part is in Birmingham, Alabama. So yeah, that's so China. He's trying to, to move this. I'm train along. along through Whistle Stop, and we keep bringing it back. I know you keep bringing it back. Well, I'm trying to break into kind of our February movies. So February um, of '92, a little bit of a quiet-ish month compared to some of the other ones that we're going to have coming up that we have listed on our big board. But we selected three movies to, um, you know, one to watch, one to play the telephone game, and one to just guess what the hell happened. So the movies that we have that we did were Wayne's World, which we watched, 
uh, Medicine Man, which I'm going to attempt to relay to these wonderful, wonderful ladies here. And we'll see if they can uh, follow along. And finally, we're all going to take a guess at what the hell Stopper on Marmal Shoot was. So let's start with Wayne's World. So Wayne's World was a brisk 95-minute movie. It's actually one of the first movies I can remember. Did you know they had a post credit scene? Which was pretty cool. Yeah. It was one of the first things I can remember all the way to the very end, uh, which was fun to kind of watch that. But it was made on a $20 million budget and it grossed $183 million. Wow. It was considered, and it still is, the highest grossing movie ever made based on an SNL sketch. Mm-hmm. So, movie came out in February 92. I'm going to go, uh, we're going to start across the pond. Jen, how did you feel about this movie? Rewatching it now and seeing it 30 years later. Oh boy, there there is a lot in here that did not age well. Okay. However, I did not know or did not remember that that's what she said, because I'm a massive Office fan, U.S. Office fan, came from this movie. And now that I know it, I, it, it adds a whole nother level well, of humor. Lem- Same. Let me tell you both something. It didn't actually come from this movie. No. So that's what she said is actually a British colloquial term. And it's actually supposed to mean said the actress... To the bishop. So I actually did a little bit of research on it. And hold on one second while I bring it up. And hopefully <clears throat> you guys From are From the actress to the bishop? That's what it was. So the term or its variant as the actress said to the bishop is British in origin. It supposedly originated from a conversation between the actress Lily Langtree and the bishop of Worcester. 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 W-R-O-C. Worcester. It's Worcester. It's Worcester. Worcester? Like Worcester Mass? Yes. So I'm going to say Worcester. Okay. Because that's what I think it sounds like. But you're wrong. (laughs) I could be wrong. Um, They were at a country house at a weekend. I tried, UK. (laughs) They were at a country house at a weekend party. And on Sunday morning before church, they went out for a stroll in the garden. Mm -hmm. On their walk, the bishop cut his finger on a rose thorn. Over lunch, Lily inquired about his injury, asking, how was your prick? To which the bishop replied... Throbbing, causing the butler to drop the potatoes. Its form <laughs> is well known as Wellerism, acquiring that name from Charles Dickens' character Sam Weller, who regularly employs it in the Pickwick Papers. The phrase was in popular usage in the Royal Air Force circa 1944 to 1947 and may have actually come from the Edwardian era. What happened then is our friend Ricky Gervais. Used that a lot in the British version of the office. He did. Office. Yeah. Said the actress to the bishop. So that's why oh, Michael he Scott. Said, said the actress to the bishop? Uh huh. Because that was like his character's thing. So then Michael oh. Scott took the that's what she said. So a little bit of a tangent because when we first were, when we were watching this together and we saw it, we were all like, whoa, wait, what? That's what she said. But I guess it's just that had been around for a long time. Yeah. And they had wow. used it on their sketches. So it's actually pretty cool. A little bit of a history meander there but that's what she said was in here anything else you guys found that jumped out i mean calling women mental has not aged well although or hose beasts psycho hose beasts yeah (laughs) although in their defense she was a little bit yeah she was stalkerish she, she was definitely a stalker and she was definitely um she needed some therapy she she definitely had some mental health issues she needed to work through a little bit yeah it is one of those things where I did have a few moments where I was like, Wayne, if you wind up on Dateline, I would not be surprised. So, Wayne. <laughs> so, Jen, when we were watching it, yeah, you said to me before you didn't know the plot of the movie. Do you think you know the plot now? Could you tell us what you think happened? Oh. <laughs> well, I think that they had a cable access show. Okay. How much does it cost for that show? Hey, you know, some a dollar. And then... Um, I think Rob Lowe and his peeps came in and they bought it, but kind of like sneaky style because like Wayne and Garth didn't know what was going on. Okay. Right. And then, um, also Rob Lowe and his peeps were, uh, they signed Tia Carrera to their, to their TV music label. And, um, that's the plot of the movie. Okay. What did you think the plot of the movie (laughs) was? It's also a love story between, uh, Wayne, Wayne. And Tia. Okay. Whose name is Cassandra. Correct. Right. What did you think? I mean, I think that <laughs> I have no f- 
fucking clue what I watched. I definitely took an edible. Okay. I'm not saying that really helped or hindered me here. Okay. Um, but I think that there is a love story between Wayne and Cassandra. Mm-hmm. But also, like, Wayne does a few things where I'm like, oh, Cassandra, you better run. <laughs> like, I mean, he does not always behave well. And Rob Lowe comes off as a really swarmy executive guy. But also, like... I don't know. He's got money. Wayne's doing this public access show from his basement. Yeah. (laughs) Like, yeah. Also, like, not to be shallow, but, like... Rob Lowe. Rob Lowe. Young Rob Lowe. He's not... I mean, look, it's deeply problematic now, but, you know... Oh, yeah. from what I believe the movie was, Rob Lowe's (laughs) character is an ad executive. His girlfriend likes to watch the local show, or his flavor of the week, shall we say. Whatever lady he was in bed with that night says, turn this on. He sees it. Goes, oh, I have an account. Noah's Arcade. We can get them to advertise on this show because young people watch the show. Except he didn't actually have any rights to do anything with the show. So that's why he paid them ten grand to basically buy the rights to their show to then use it as an infomercial for Noah's Arcade. Because then Noah's Arcade would be on every episode. Listen, 10 grand is a lot of money in 1991 when you're living well, in your parents' 10 basement. 10 is a lot of that. money to me now. Well, well yeah, 100, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, he got to play around with the Fender. So, I mean, he got to play around with the guitar and he got to do all the stuff. Um, question, how would you guys feel? Who do you think was the most underrated person in this movie? The, the, the MVP. That's okay. It's just, uh... It's just... I really apologize. I have a, another podcast, and my podcast co-host has zero chills, so I'm just turning my <laughs> electronics off because she legitimately will not stop. No, that's okay. It's all good. I mean, just please don't, don't break your iPad. Yeah, you don't need to fling it in a festive <laughs> that would feel manner. Very bad. Yeah. I mean, well, if you're gonna fling it, I prefer yeah. a festive manner. Yeah, I mean, it's really okay. Yeah, it's all good. You're just reminding me that I should probably turn the volume off on my laptop so my emails don't start beeping <laughs> in. <laughs> so well, while Jen across the pond works on this, Jen, mm. what do you think? What do you? Who was your MVP of this movie outside of the main cast? The MVP of this movie outside of the main cast? Yeah. Um, well, we got a Chris Farley sighting, didn't we? We did. He was really good. I personally enjoyed Ed O'Neill. As oh, the, yeah. As the yeah. guy yeah, yeah, that yeah, runs yeah. their Stan is... Donuts. Like, that I'm was a lot of fun. I'm going to that from you. That was great. Yeah. That was great. I mean, a lot of a lot of fun people. A lot of good people. Uh, Ed O'Neill's character is great when he's talking about murdering yeah. someone. And then that just <laughs> lands him being stuck at the donut shop. And he had a bunch yeah. of hair. And it's just... You know, I will say I enjoyed it more than I thought it was going to. Yeah. I'm like, oh, man. we got to watch Rent Wayne's World. I don't know. I know I, I did feel it. the same way. I was like, I remember really enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Because of course, like you know, was it when we were it was when we were growing up, and I mean, nineties right. era SNL, like there's well, some real teens, like just yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, but it was a lot of fun, and and again, I I think personally it held up pretty well for what it is, right? It's something based on an SNL skit. Mm-hmm. They're not trying to be politically correct in any way, but they're also no. wholesome enough that. I don't think anyone would ever be really intimidated by either one of them. They, right? re- they are. And they have this beautiful, like, Midwestern slash Canadian charm. Yeah. Like, I feel like they're supposed to be Midwestern, but their accent sounds, sounds real Canadian. And they, I think they definitely filmed in Canada. Well, I'm pretty sure that... I think they... I think, think they're, they're both Canadian. Well, they are both Canadian, but I was going to say... Are they both Canadian? Yeah. Like, I feel like... They're uh, Canadian treasures. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100% they're Canadian. Like, I'm trying to Google and confirm here as we go, but, like, I'm pretty sure it's either set in, like, Detroit or Chicago. It's supposed to be set in Chicago. Which is, you know, kind of close enough to Canada. So it's, you know, Canadian and adjacent, right? Mm-hmm. It's not It's not like they're trying to film this in, you know, the middle of nowhere, um, middle America. Like, they're, they're kind of up there in that cold hockey region. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought probably my favorite scene of all, um, which... Yeah, you, know, you guys take it for what it's worth, but just when they're playing hockey and it's the two of them, and one of them is shooting and the other is the goalie, and every two seconds they're like, car, 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 and they just gotta move the whole setup, and everybody what? in the neighborhood's just like waving at them, and they're just like these 20 something year olds that are just yeah. living. Game on! Yeah, game on! Game, game off. on! Like, that was like the. That I remember that perfectly. growing up. Yeah. Man. And, and that translated perfectly, like, to that time period, because that was mm-hmm. such a thing. Like, nowadays, I do not see children just playing hockey in the street. I don't know what it is. They just don't seem to gather and do the same kind of thing. They're probably they not allowed to. I exactly. feel like kids don't, you know, right. they really 
aren't allowed to play in the street and get hit by cars like like, like they used to be, you know? Yeah. Um, you know what scene I liked? What? The scene where he's like, camera one, camera two. Because <laughs> I totally did that as a kid. Even now, sometimes I'll sit there and I'll close one eye. So when you say camera one, camera two, you're talking about... Um, Shutting your eyes. Yeah, when you like, shut yeah. one eye and then the other and you kind of like the slight differences and like where everything yeah. is. But I mean, that was in his like little love scene. But this, just in general, the idea of doing that. Like I used to do that all the time as a kid. Like in class, I would just <laughs> amuse myself by closing one eye and then the other. Shocking why you're such a wonderful student, right? Listen, hmm. I was a, I was in the gifted and talented program. Mm, okay. Mm, okay. Take that for what it's worth. What was your favorite scene, Jen? Oh, it's tricky. I think it's probably the hockey scene as well. Ah, I just I feel good. like it just... I remember growing up in my neighborhood, sometimes playing hockey with my brothers or soccer or football or baseball and you would always have this moment where particularly hockey where the cars would be coming through because you needed the street and you just would have to run out of the middle of the way and you would shout move car well, question move. about that you have to move like the whole like uh which i'm call it the, goal, um, up, the yeah. goal up and you'd have to mark down with like chalk or something where it would so go. where it would go back otherwise oh, then you're not yeah. playing a fair game huh. see i never and woe betide a card that parked there mm-hmm. so when you played hockey did did you guys wear skates or were you just like running? Yeah. yeah. Skates, yeah. Rollerblades. Some people would play on feet, but the ones that would play on, on... feet? Yeah, some people oh. would not play on skates, gotcha. but most people would play on skates. So yeah. if you didn't play on skates, it was a little bit of an advantage. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. because of kind of like what you were playing on and what you were doing. There was not a lot of room. It's not like you... I mean, you have the width of a street, so it's not like you have like a full rink and you don't yeah. have all the same kind of stuff that you'd have with a rink. So like... With a rink, you'd have boards and stuff, like, so you can dump the ball in to the boards and stuff. Like, here, you have a curb, so you can't, like, you're you're a lot more restricted in what can you can kind of do. Can you ricochet it off the curb? In- you can, but it's a lot more difficult than you think, because for the most part, if you're going to shoot a ball over someone's stick, you want to lift it, but then you have to lift it to not lift it onto the grass. Oh, right, because it's a ball, not a puck, because we're not actually on ice. Yeah. Right. See, I don't know anything. And, I didn't have siblings. And, I just... and <laughs> even if you play with a puck... And the neighborhood boys the aren't going to let me play... Yeah, no. You know, hockey yeah. with them. I, I had an advantage because I had two, two yeah. brothers and I was very much a tomboy. But I mostly played goal, goalie. Like, anything I did was mostly goalie. Like, I didn't, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I, I enjoyed that scene. And there was one other scene that popped out here that I wanted to touch on. Rob Lowe, when he said literally. Literally? Oh, yeah. It was a Chris Traeger yeah. sighting. Chris Traeger, Chris Traeger sighting. I went on the internet and Reddit already had that. And someone was like, you must have been watching Comedy Central. Somebody already had that clip. From when it was on, uh, really? like, that kind of, because it's just, it's, you know, and right around the time that Parks and Rec was out, because he just says literally, and then he says it here, like, the same way. The R yeah. is a little bit more pronounced he in Parks and Rec. He say, say it a little bit more true to the way it's supposed to be said in Wayne's World, but mm-hmm. it is, mm-hmm. it's close enough. That He's also great. a vampire, right? Like, we can agree to that? Yeah. There's a, there's a picture of him in an attic somewhere. I don't know. There's yeah, something, something going on. Dorian Gray. Him like, and, and, and Paul, Paul Rudd. Rudd. Yeah, what are they doing? I don't know. Dorian Gray. They're all, they all have pictures and they're immortal. As long as you don't find we their picture. We need to really... We need to bottle whatever that is and mm. slather it all over my face. Yes. <laughs> well. But share some with me. Of course. Thank of you. course. Wayne's World. Party time. Excellent. We enjoyed it. Yeah. I, yeah. Highly really recommend it. I definitely recommend anybody go back and check it out. It really does hold up. It's not one of those. We're not telling you that the movie is, uh, you know, going to break any boundaries. But if you just want to laugh late at night, give it a shot. Yeah. And if you're a little high or a little drunk, it's probably going to be a better experience. But if not, it is still really enjoyable. And there are, if you're a Saturday Night Live fan, there are probably not very many movies I can think of that were, that was made by them that are good or hold up or yeah, yeah. Most, of watch. <laughs> most of them are bad this this was pretty yeah good. um i will just say one more thing about it okay bohemian rhapsody i was, <gasps> I was just gonna yes. i thought was from this movie i did not know <laughs> do you know that there's a whole generation i think our generation mm-hmm. really that's probably the first time we ever experienced that and we didn't just experience it i think the best part about bohemian rhapsody in this movie is he takes the tape and puts it in. Mm-hmm. And it immediately starts playing at the chorus part that you want it to play at. Right? Mm-hmm. You don't get the whole intro. It's just kind of like... It's such a long song. You get, yeah. Right. But it. it's so good because only in the 90s could that work like that. Because 
it would have been queued up because it was on a tape. Yeah. So, like, if I took it right now and started playing Bohemian Rhapsody, I'd have to find that spot, like, quickly. It's not just as quick as he put it in and it just started playing right there, right? Because, I mean, you're listening to a tape and you stop the tape. You're going to get wherever it's at in the tape. I thought that was cool. I don't know that about you guys. That was super cool. Yeah. But that was just cool because yeah. that's such a 90s thing. It's not going to happen now. You, you play an MP3, you're going to get the beginning of the song. Yeah. So. Yeah. So that was cool. And that's definitely my first experience with Queen. I don't know about you. Same. Yeah. You know, outside you know, of like, sporting I, events. I learned you know. about Queen after... I learned about no. the queen I knew of was again sporting events related, which yeah. was we, we will rock, rock you. you. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. that's true. That was... and we are the champions. Yep. Yes, that's true. Both of them. Yeah, so it's pretty good. Well, that's probably because Freddie Mercury just dies in '92, mm. right, or '91. Way we're, to bring it down. That. Well, I'm just saying. So they were like re-releasing the greatest hits albums and stuff like that. So it's probably part of why all that was. But I think we're gonna put a, a pin in Wayne's World. What do you guys think? Yeah. Good movie. Recommend. Two thumbs up. Schwing. So, let's move on. <laughs> nerd. Oh, you're such a nerd. I know. I had to. Let's move on. So, um, last week, we played the telephone game with Hand That Rocks the Cradle. This week, I'm going to try to explain to you the plot of Medicine Man. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Medicine Man came out in February of 1992. Stars Sean Connery and Lorraine Bracco. Okay. okay. Wait, isn't she, is, isn't is she like married to someone who is like a famous producer, but she was also an actress? Could be. Okay. Is she from Sopranos? Probably not. She could be. Okay, well, I'm just going to quietly Google this while you, you can. tell me things. Lorraine Bracco? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, tell me more about her. So, the movie uh, opens with, I believe, Lorraine's character... Going into the Amazon rainforest to find Dr. Campbell, who is Sean Connery's character, who's also the medicine man of the village, because he gave a kid an Alka-Seltzer who had a tummy ache. In what world do we think Sean Connery's character, who I'm sure will not have an accent, because even when he was playing an Irish person, he still had a Scottish accent. Okay. So, a crotchety middle-aged Scottish guy mm-hmm. is living in the rainforest. No, he's not living in the rainforest. So Sean Con- Sean Connery's character. Oh, wow. So apparently Dr. Lorraine Bracco is going to give uh, Tony Soprano a bunch of advice later on down the line. That's his shrink. He's like in love Good with her. Good for her. That's, why, that's the, why I just called her doctor. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying. Like, I know. So you were right. So Lorraine Bracco. Dr. Jennifer Melfi. Right. So she's she's learning. Right now she's also a doctor. So she's got two different degrees. Great. Fictional degrees. So Sean Connery. She might have a real degree. We didn't Google that. It's true. Sean Connery's character, <laughs> Dr. Campbell. His wife leaves him. His research partner leaves him. He's in the rainforest. He's a doctor. But he's actually a medicine man. He's a doctor of medicine or like a PhD? Doctor doctor of medicine. Like snake oils? No, like he allegedly found the cure for cancer in some sort of flower. Like would Uncle Billy go and visit him? Uncle Baby Uncle Baby Billy. Billy. Uncle Baby (laughs) Baby Billy. It's possible. But, so he, like, his business partners leave him. This other doctor comes in to help him because he's found the cure for cancer. Okay. Good for him. He's, Good for him. It's 92. I want that cure. So like, he's, Yeah, where is it? It's Yeah. So 30 years later, we don't have this well, cure yet. Well, I'll tell you. So he's in the rainforest doing all of his research. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of spiders. He, so he has spiders. actually driven out the local medicine man because the kid had a stomach ache. So then he gave the kid an Alka-Seltzer. So that's why now he's the medicine man. Because I mean, there's a lot of cultural appropriation going on right now. There's a ton. There's a lot of white savior stuff. Well, here's the thing. So then that medicine man leaves. Somebody else gets sick and he tries to heal them with the flower that he found that cures cancer. But it didn't work. But then he did, did something and did maybe heal the kid. Meanwhile, like, Dr. Bracco's here and she's doing her thing, like, also helping him research the cure for cancer. But there's, like, a logging company that's coming. And the logging company is actually going to take out the entire village. Oh, yeah. We're in Ferngully territory here. <laughs> Correct. So we have that going on, too. But he's trying to stop them because of this flower, right? Because this flower cures cancer. But it doesn't actually cure cancer. And it only grows in this one. It grows in the rainforest, in this deep area in the rainforest. Um, And he's the medicine man because he had Alka-Seltzer and saved the kid. Because he's white and a white savior here. Got it. Now. Sorry, real casual. Not even casual. Just outright racism. Just a little bit. Just (laughs) slide in a little. Now, 
Um, he turns out that he actually, it wasn't the flower that was doing the stuff. Oh. It was the ants. Some sort of enzyme in the oh. ants. Oh. They were in the rainforest, so even more delicate amount of the ecosystem. So it wasn't actually the flower that he was trying to synthesize in the lab. It was the ants. Special rainforest. But then the loggers still came through and fucked everything up. And oh. so we just lost the cure for cancer because That's imperialism. The whole yeah. And it ends being a medicine man. Just wandering off in the rainforest, I think. That's what I think. Sound interesting movie. Not really. Not really. I mean, I kind of feel like, well, I mean, I guess like they couldn't give us the cure for cancer, could they? Because then it wouldn't explain what's going on now. So, yes, I, <laughs> I get that. foresight to realize that. Yeah, they're like, oh yeah, we're not going to cure this now. But also, like, I think it's interesting that like you have this strong environmental like take on, on uh, what was happening in the Amazon and that the Hollywood industry, the machine is moving towards like yeah. notifying the West because obviously, you know, the people living through it know what's going on. But, you know, Americans and other sort of Western countries may not know how dire the predicament is and what's happening. So I think that's an interesting take. But I mean, it's Sean Connery 92. Does he get with Lorraine Bracco? Because I would bet he does. Um, I would imagine... That, yeah. that might have happened. Again, I've only seen this movie once, and um, I read a Wikipedia article shortly before we began to give you this rundown, so um, I don't think the romance was a huge part of the film. I really think it was about Sean Connery's ability to distinguish whether or not a flower or ants were actually um, the, the most important thing, as well as having Alka-Seltzer, because that's, if you bring that with you in the Amazon I mean, rainforest. You have a tummy ache. Alka-Seltzer is nice. But like... Mm-hmm. That's a hangover? Just, I get, but what crazy. hangover is he going to get in the rainforest? Like, what goes on? So, Well, I mean, it helps fevers and it helps belly aches. It's a all-around drug, you know? So, yeah. So I had wished that this movie had better um, insanity. So I think next month maybe we'll have to try to figure out Basic Instinct, right? But oh. That one's pretty easy. I've never seen that. Yeah, so that one, well, you know, we'll, we'll have to vote on that later, but... This one that that's really I, I think I really I'm gonna now I'm gonna pull up the Wikipedia entry to make sure but I, I think I really hit on most of it I mean does this seem like a movie you guys would want to see It seems like it it doesn't yeah I mean it doesn't seem like a an, it seems like there wasn't a lot going on I'm not gonna lie the to pharmaceutical you. company Ashton Labs sends biochemist Dr Ray Crane that's the Marine Bracco into the rainforest to locate researcher oh so he was a researcher he wasn't even a doctor okay Robert Campbell. After his wife and partner abandoned him because he's a clown. Uh, the doctor's bringing in equipment and supplies, but he's upset uh, that his partner is not forthcoming. I don't know what that means. He tries to send he didn't come the, forth. The, other do- the other doctor home. She won't. Um, and I guess they're... Oh, they're, so they're out there to figure out actually whether or not he's doing anything. So he actually is a researcher that was out there working. So that's probably something I should have picked up on. Hmm. Oh, um, he was like a freelancer. Yeah. So, so you're like, mm, to check on you, haven't, you haven't reported anything back. You're not sending in your updates. We're a little worried that uh, we should stop paying you. That, that sounds like I missed a part of the plot. Yeah, but, it kind of seems like a pretty does. important but part. <laughs> it says he that he said he found a cure for cancer, but he can't synthesize the compound. Hmm. And then with supplies of the success, successful serum running low... Yeah, he said it's a derivative of a species of flower, which he believes can get him the compound. He earned the title of medicine man by giving a boy with a stomachache Alka-Seltzer. Well, they, you got that Insulting point. the real medicine man and driving that guy deep into the forest. A logging company's building a road, headed straight for the village. Uh, uh, potentially lethal pathogens. And, and then oh. it just says his... Uh, yeah, threatening to kill the natives. And then it says, in fact, his wife left him because... Could not forgive himself for the tragedies. I don't even know what that means. Uh, well, now this just sounds insane. Now it sounds insane. So a small mm-hmm. boy appears who's got malignant neoplasms. And both of them um, set out for the medicine man. Because he knows all about flowers. The actual guy that went in. Oh, oh okay. The so they actually, Yeah, so the real medicine man. Um, the medicine man runs away when he finds them. Um, he's They're reluctant to find him further. Um, Who's this medicine man? The actual medicine man. So, like, in the the tribe, there was a man that was a medicine man. Right. 
So we just don't care about this guy. We're no, this guy ran away. So in when... the indigenous community, there was an actual medicine man. And that right, guy ran away. Was looking after them. He ran away. This, this is what I'm getting. interesting now. And what happened was, probably he ran away because he wanted to keep the secret of, like, his uh, knowledge. No, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll oh. tell you. Okay. So Campbell rescued Crane from a fall. So man rescuing woman. Then they locate the medicine man who's compelled to fight in order to heal the medicine man's wounded pride and gain further information. Unfortunately, the medicine man reveals that the flowers have no juju power to heal. So it's not the flowers. Um, so basically, it appear, then it says back at the village, Crane initially refuses to allow Camel to inoculate the boy with the last of the serum until they can make more. But as the boy gets sicker, they give him the serum. The next morning, the boy is better, but the village is upset. The locking road is almost done. Campbell appeals to the company's workers to halt so he can conclude his research. But they're like, nah, fuck that. In desperation, and after new samples fail to contain the missing compound, he runs the machine one more time and discovers that the source of the cure is not the flower, but a species of rare ant indigenous to the rainforest. He demands the construction stop. They have a fight. Bulldozer catches fire. The building, hmm. the the village is destroyed. Hmm. The research station's gone, and many acres of rainforest are gone. The next day, the doctor promises to send Sean Connery new equipment and the research assistant he'd originally requested. She's about to return home when she meets the medicine man. He symbolically passes on his mantle to Campbell, to Sean Connery, and Crane accepts an invitation to continue work with him in exchange for recognition for co-discovering the source of the compound. So that's kind of close. Yeah. I don't think it's aged that well. It hasn't aged well at all. No. Um, Really kind of... Not a great movie. No. That's it. I got nothing more. I mean, I have a really hot take. Yeah. Nobody agrees with me. Okay. I just don't like Sean Connery movies. I mean, I think it's fair, but he the problem is he does that's have some why he good... talks. Like, I can't. But there are some good movies there. That's why he talks. I can't. I, yeah, I can't. I can't get past it. I, I mean, can't do it. His takes on James Bond, some of those are good. Hunt for Red October's good. Some of his later stuff's good. Yeah, great. From Russia with Love is actually a really good James Bond movie. I've n- well, you don't here's, like that. Here's a second hot take. I have never and probably will never see a James Bond movie. Mm. You know... I had only seen one before I married my husband, and then, like, the first year we were married, we were living in the UK, we couldn't afford cable, so we got, like, this box set of James Bond movies, and we, like, worked our way through them, and some of them are real garbage, and then some are pretty decent. Um, I have a lot of problems with James Bond, as I'm sure you can feel this coming from, from my tone of voice, because he's a sexist, and he's awful just in so many many ways but there is something interesting about the time capsule-ness of the story of the sort of like adventure of it and there are like some i would recommend many skip like i can tell you each of the bonds which one it's worth which ones are worth watching which ones are like no most of them don't age well hunt for october is good though i mean the rock the rock yeah, yeah. Is, I really enjoyed that when you made me watch it. I thought, ago. I thought that. I listen. I recommend everybody stop what they're doing right now. <laughs> Go to the nearest television, watch The Rock, and, and then, don't and uh, don't come, come to back. me for a movie advice because I'm not really. Believe it or not, even though we're in a movie club, I'm not really a movie person. Hot take: the greatest I thing. I don't have. I don't. Hot have take: the... the only good thing about The Rock is that it is so ridiculous that you're just kind of watching it like. Yeah. Okay, I'm here for it. I, I would can't. I would say the best part about The Rock is we are in a movie club, and in the movie club that we are all a part of, there are age range from mid-20s, let's say, until the 60s, in, in your mid-60s. Mid-60s. And multiple people had not heard of this movie and thought that The Rock was in this movie, and I think that was my favorite part. <laughs> they were thinking at some point... Dwayne they, the Rock They Johnson. were thinking Dwayne yeah. The Rock Johnson was going to show up at some point. Here's a third hot take. some levity to this. Third hot take for you. You were one of them. I was one of them. I know. I'm watching <laughs> Fourth hot and... take. If Dwayne The Rock Johnson was in this movie, it would have been a better movie. If if Dwayne The Rock Johnson was in this movie, he was still in the WWF right now wrestling because it was in like '97. He had not even might not have even been there. It was he would have made he the movie better. Nowhere near The Rock that you guys know now, but um, we we veered a little. Mm-hmm. We zigged when we should have zagged. 
Medicine Man. We're going to put a pin in that. Not as good to kind of talk about as Hand the Rocks a Cradle. Listen, which Hand the Rocks a Cradle wild. was a wild conversation. That is a wild movie. But I might, I might not. This, um, I'm debating if we do White Man Can't Jump or uh, Basic Instinct for that one. But March will be interesting. We're definitely going to watch My Cousin Vinny we were talking about. I mean, The Cutting Edge. I can see well, their The board. Cutting Edge. They well, have to talk about The Cutting oh, Edge. Oh, we're going to talk about The Cutting Edge. But we, we haven't decided which one we're going to telephone game. But here's what we are going to do now. Back by uh, popular demand of us. We were talking last week, or last month, about a movie called Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. We are all going to give our predictions, because this movie also came out in the month of February of 92. We're all going to try to remember what this movie was about. So I'm going to start with my co-host, Jen. Jen. Yeah. Give me the plot of this movie, who you think stars in this movie, and what you think it's about. The floor is yours. Go. Well, real talk. I very much thought this was a movie with, like, um, maybe Danny DeVito, maybe Billy Crystal, I don't know, but a train and a mom with a gun. That's all I remembered. Don't think it's the right movie. Okay. Now. That's all I got for you. We're going to send it over the pond. Jen. So, I always confuse this movie with Throw Mama from the Train. <laughs> exactly. But I think the difference is Sylvester Stallone is in this movie. Okay. But I'm 100% not sure I also think Danny DeVito and Billy Crystal are in it. Were they in Throw Mama from the Train? I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> but I, that's what, in my brain, yeah. I'm pretty sure Danny DeVito is in Throw Mama from the Train. This, is, is that, is that, so that's... The, I I think he's like a cop and he's protecting his mom or his mom is somehow involved. She definitely has a gun. That's all I know. What if I told you? Now, I have not looked it up, okay, in terms of the, the plot. But I wanted to mm-hmm. confirm one thing and I will tell you what that thing is. But what if I told you? This is what I remember the movie as. We're going to find out next week, next month. Sylvester Stallone stars... As a hard-boiled detective. See? I got that bit. <laughs> who may or may not, let's say, I don't know. I'm just assuming. He probably had a falling out with someone because he probably used excessive force or something and beat somebody up. Oh, no. I can I don't never know. see Sylvester I, I could be completely wrong force. about that. Or he's got that same, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger kindergarten cop, like, I have to make it be a buddy comedy thing, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, I need to, like, be put in this scenario, okay? So, whatever. He's, like, exiled to this scenario. His mom is Estelle Getty. I knew it was like, oh. and so then it has to be a comedy, right? It is a comedy because he's so big and she's so little, right? But he's not big, so Sylvester Sloan's not really that tall. It's not like he's like nine feet tall, so that's no, but so she's they, they have Estelle Getty, so that's why they, there's such a height disparity. And uh, I, I remember, and I, and I looked it up and confirmed. Like I remember the picture is like Sylvester Sloan with a gun, but then Estelle Getty with a gun. That like the mm-hmm. gun is bigger than her, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, I assume that, if I remember correctly, there's like maybe an old case or a case he's working. He's trying to find these bad guys, but then uh, his mom gets involved because he's also like maybe taking her like cross country or something to a nursing home or a funeral or some shit. He's taking her somewhere because she's with him. And I think there is a train involved. That might be where the ending is, but Estelle Getty, Sylvester Stallone, stopping my mom's shoot. What do you think? Am I close? You have no idea. I mean, I thought we were talking about trains, so you're closer than I, I am. I know there's a train in this movie. I know it. Yeah, I think I think the end's like on a train, kind of like Mission Impossible. Remember where like the ending is just randomly on a train, but we'll find out. Hot take: I've never seen Mission Impossible. I can't remember Shocking. the plot of Mission Impossible. <laughs> I that, I have that, seen it, but I can't. I remember. can tell you the plot of Mission Impossible in about forty-five seconds. So Ethan Hunt, played by Tom Cruise, is on a mission, and his team gets sabotaged by one of the people that's working with them. But he gets disavowed, so he's on his own. So he makes a new team, and in the new team, he gets Simon Pegg. Not Simon Pegg. Yes, Simon Pegg. Who's uh, the guy? That's like the new Mission Impossible. There was like a 90s Mission Impossible. This is the 90s Mission Impossible. I'm telling you the plot. Simon Pegg. Okay. Is Simon Pegg the... So, Sean Sean from Sean of the Dead. Sean and Simon Pegg, yeah. It's Simon Pegg, Ving Rhames, and then it's like a woman... And I think the isn't it Felicity? Felicity or is she in one of the later? That's ones? later. Okay. So and I, and I forget who it is, but I believe it's uh, John Voight is the guy that actually burnt Tom Cruise and his team, and they find that out on the train at the end of the movie. 
And then the mom pulls out the gun and shoots him. Yes. Estelle Getty, the end. <laughs> but that is Mission Impossible. So, so can you just tell people who Estelle Getty is just in case they don't know? The Golden Girl. Yes. Do you know she's her name Sophia. as a Golden Girl? Sophia, the mom. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I gave that to you. Yeah, she's the mom. Who also, I believe she was the youngest, right? Yeah. Didn't we find that out? IRL, yeah. Yeah. So, that's Estelle Getty. So, but that's it. Dorothy. We will come back at the top of our next episode in March and go through. What really happened. What really happened in that movie. So, before we get to our cards and our little uh, trivia game for who's going to buy dinner here tonight. Next month, we'll post on our social media. We're either going to watch My Cousin Vinny or Basic Instinct. And I think Jen's going to try to give me the plot of White Men Can't Jump. Oh, yeah. I've never seen that, so I'll do that. And... I kind of, you know, honestly, I've never seen Basic Instinct. Because I heard that there's a rabbit that dies, so I never wanted to see it. But I feel like I should No, there isn't. That's a fatal attraction. Oh, because in my mind, they're the same movie. They're not the same movie. I should not have a movie podcast as we're... (laughs) We're well, you don't. You're just you're just here one, once a <laughs> month. We I talk just... about movies from the '90s, so uh... all the spoilers roll together, and then we'll either talk about the cutting edge. Okay, so this is when you see Sharon Stone's Choch. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. So that's that's where we're gonna go with it. Either Basic Instinct or My Cousin Vinny. We're gonna watch them to talk about them and give our breakdown, and then we're gonna you're gonna tell me all about White Men Can't Jump. Present me that movie, although I have seen it, and uh, then the Cutting Edge. We'll try to remember what the hell that was about. Ice skaters. Oh. That I remember. It was like an ice hockey guy. And, and a figure, like a skater. figure skater, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, we'll see. We'll see how much we can get right of that. But let's jump into our questions. We're going to do a little round robin questions. Can you steal my okay. questions or these my questions? I'm going to ask my question across the pond. Jen, then you're going to bring your question back to Jen. And Jen will ask me questions. First one to two wins. Ready? Mm-hmm. In the Spice Girls. Who was Mel C. better known as? I think Mel C. was Sporty Spice. Sporty Spice is correct. Okay, Jen. Mm-hmm. In 1999's The Matrix, Mr. Anderson swallowed a pill to begin his quest to becoming Neo. What color was the pill? Was the pill purple? It was not. It was red. Yeah. I, the, the face that Pat is wow. looking at me Purple with. was not even a color. It was red and blue. Oh. But I couldn't give her that. No, I know. But yeah. I'm saying, where did we even get purple? If you put red and blue together? Mm-hmm. I'll wait. I'll wait for my question here. Well, now I feel stupid. Okay. What does it mean if you go the full Monty? You are naked. You are in the buff. Strip all the way. All the way. Full tackle out. All right. After one round, my co-host Jen, zero. (laughs) Jen and I won. (laughs) Jen, if you get this question, then Jen is officially eliminated. Let's do the math. Wait. Okay, that's true. Oh, no, I don't want to do math. (laughs) 90s style. What is the number of InSync members minus the number of Backstreet Boy members? Zero? That is correct. Wow. So you can ask me the question now. If okay. I get this right... Wait, I don't get to ask you a question? I can still ask you a question. Okay. I just don't get a question asked. Correct. Okay. All right. 90 Spelling Bee. Erica Badu. The Queen of Neo Soul. Go. E-R-I-C-A. Do I have that right at least? Nope. Yeah, it's K-A. And then Badu, B-O-U-D-E-I. Nope. But guess here's the thing. No, 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 no. He had two tries you get. He says in the thing, you get two tries. Try again. You got it wrong the first time on both. So. Erica, E-I-R-K-A? E-R-I-K-A? No. I'm out. Okay. Erica Badu, E. R Y K A H Badu B A D U. Wow. Well, looks like you're buying dinner. Ooh. <laughs> you win, so you get to buy you dinner. Win. That's how. Uh, I'm excited. It also means I get to choose what dinner is. That's true. That's how small our budget is. The winner <laughs> has to pay. 
And in this case, it happens to be our guest. Jen, thank you so much for coming yes, on. Yes, thank you. Oh, thanks we for having me. It's been a blast. Talking to us about stupid movies, and who knows, maybe you'll record another one while you're here. You never know. Never know. Thanks, guys, for stopping by. And we'll catch you on the next one, right, Jen? Yeah. Hey, where can your uh, your listeners find you on social media, guys? Uh, BLC underscore podcast. Nope. BLC <laughs> underscore mixtapes on Instagram. And Becky left the chat on Twitter. Yeah. That's yeah. where we are. And you should like. Like, subscribe, rate. Yeah. Leave 20 star reviews. Yeah, leave them some nice five star, leave them some nice five star reviews. They're just getting started, and things like five star reviews will help get them up the charts in Apple and Spotify, and just let them let them know that you enjoy what they're doing. It's nice. Did you know that we were the thirty eighth ranked musical history <laughs> podcast in the Great British audience in the UK audience? I'm so happy. I think that's solely for me telling everyone to listen I to you. I'm pretty sure. That I'm there might sure be 38, 38. <laughs> music history podcasts <laughs> in the UK. In, in the UK. I was like, wow, that's not really a thing, right? How yeah. could that be real? But hey, we're going to hey. cruise right up those charts, apparently. You are. 1 of 40. Well, thanks again, and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye. Bye.